You're listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. I'm your host, Marty Duran. I want to talk to you for a minute about my buddy Sam Morris and his leather work. He made me a cool leather journal cover. I use a Loistrom uh, 1917 journal for most of my journaling and my time management, productivity issues, all that kind of stuff. And uh, carries my pencils and a field notes little pad. Uh, and he did a fantastic job. He got his start making uh, pastoral or teaching note cover, uh, notebooks. So they're made out of leather. Uh, pastors use them for their preaching notes. Professors use them for their teaching notes. Uh, and these things are high quality and they look fantastic. Now, here's the deal. You can only get him on Twitter. It's at Sam Morris eight at S A M O R R I S numeral eight at Sam Morris eight on Twitter. Hit him up. He'll get in contact with you there and give you a quote. Uh, and you will not be disappointed in your leather work from Sam. I'll read you some statistics that might uh, catch you by surprise a little bit. The number of Americans living in poverty is uh, estimated to be 34 million. The highest income a single mother of one child can make to fall under federal poverty guidelines is $17,420 a year. $17,420 a year. And you're at the top of the poverty guidelines. 80% is the estimated number of people in the court system who qualify for public defender. 13 million is the number of misdemeanor cases in the U.S. each year. 50 billion is the approximate amount of outstanding fines and fees owed to various courts in the U.S. And you're going to hear about those fines and fees today. $15,900, the amount of money one poor Missouri defendant owed court after a year stay in jail that stemmed from a misdemeanor conviction for shoplifting an $8, $8 tube of mascara. 400% the amount court fines and fees have increased in North Carolina since the Great Recession. We're going to be talking about the criminalization of poverty today. Essentially what that means is in the United States, you get charged criminal fees, court costs, tickets, those kinds of things, simply for being poor, and then it's made worse because you stay poor. We're going to be talking to Tony Messenger today. I hope this one shakes you up some. Well, my guest today is a journalist who won a Pulitzer Prize. When did you win the Pulitzer? A Pulitzer? Is it the Pulitzer 20, or a Pulitzer? How do you, I've never understood how you're supposed to phrase that. Uh, it's it's a Pulitzer Prize, okay. uh, the 2019 Pulitzer Prize for commentary. Fantastic. Uh, and that was for your work at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, is that right? Yes, it, yes, it was. That's fantastic. In 2016, you won the Missouri Honor Medal. Uh, from the from Missouri, the University of Missouri's School of Journalism. That's pretty excellent. I was just going to say though, if it was just like the state of Missouri awarded you that, I'm not sure it would be held in as high regard as coming from the <laughs> university. Uh, also, national headliner for editorial writing. Fantastic man. Uh, your Pulitzer series uh, had to do with Ferguson. You won the Sigma Delta. Kai Award for Best Editorials of that year, given by the Society of Professional Journalists. Man, this is making me actually, I got to go Google all your stuff now. This is fantastic. Uh, four grown children, eight grandchildren. I'm a little jealous of you right there. Uh, so, Tony Messenger, welcome to Uncommentary. 
Thanks for having me, Marty. I appreciate it. Hey, um, so that's your, you know, back of the flyleaf kind of bio. Um, what what would you want people to know about you who don't know you? Uh, I have nine grandchildren. Wow. Uh, my my two youngest are visiting uh, from they they live in Yuma, Arizona, right now. Uh, their their dad's a marine, oh, wow. so. Uh, by the time this comes out, they may live somewhere else. They, <laughs> they, 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 you know, they move around whenever the Marines tell him yeah. to go. So, uh, but they're visiting us this week and, and, uh, you know, unfortunately all of my grandchildren are out of state, so I don't get to see them enough. Uh, but that's, that's, that's one of my favorite activities to do this. That's day, fantastic. I've days. only got my wife and I only have two and they're out of state, which that, that's really a, a ruinous situation. I don't like that at all. Um, so you have, uh, from your journalism, uh, as mentioned in the flyleaf of your book, uh, you have an interest in uh, poverty and criminalization, uh, the, the justice system. I think you even mentioned in your book about going to the courthouse and uh, doing reporting from there, meeting with lawyers and whatnot. Um, but you're, you have an angle, I think, that people need to know about, which is... Uh, what it costs to be poor in certain parts of the United States uh, as it result as it relates to the criminal justice system. So kind of slide us into uh, a how you kind of got involved in interested in this and b why it's important. So it really started to some degree with Ferguson. Um, you know the 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 big story of Ferguson that a lot of folks saw on their TV, you know, cable TV mm-hmm. at night back when this was, you know, the protests were happening in 2014 were about police brutality mm-hmm. and the same sort of things that that get repeated every couple of years when somebody like, you know, George Floyd dies. Um, but there was an underlying story to what was happening uh, in Ferguson, and that is that there are a lot of municipalities in and around North St. Louis County that don't necessarily have good tax bases. And they were relying on their police departments and their municipal courts as sort of a fundraising tool. And they, they, you know, the poor people that would get caught up in that system, they'd get pulled over, they'd get a traffic ticket, they'd get a court date, they'd, they'd miss a court date or, or not be able to afford the, the costs related to it. They might then get arrested again, spend some time in jail, um, uh, and their costs would go up. And that was when I first started uh, looking into this concept of policing for mm-hmm. profit. Uh, and it's something that happens in every state in, in different capacities. Sometimes it's small towns, sometimes it's big cities. Um, but I, I became introduced to the concept that uh, a, a large part of our criminal justice system is built around the idea of raising money. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of it's for the criminal justice system, sort of a, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And some of it, and that's part of what my book gets into, uh, is money that the courts have been told by state governments to raise as sort of backdoor taxes for other things that have nothing to do with the, the criminalization of poverty. So people are, um, so I think I remember a story from, uh, from Ferguson. seems like Radley Balco wrote a series or a couple of articles. He did. Out of, he uh, did. Maybe for the Washington Post. And one of the things that would happen is uh, they would start court, whatever, at 9 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning. 
And if you weren't there at, you know, one minute till, they would actually lock the doors. And so if you were late to court, even if you were there in time to ostensibly have faced the judge and talked about your fine, then you were locked out. You couldn't pay your fine. And so additional fines were added to you uh, for the next time that you tried to come to court. That was my first introduction to, now I was aware of a lot of other stuff that was going on. That's kind of my first introduction to uh, how small town courts and police departments were used to fund themselves oftentimes. A uh, case in Alabama just came up where they had expanded the police department based on speed traps and towing that they were doing in the little town there. So you found this out and you call it, you call it policing for profit. I think other people have used that term too. Um, so what's the, what's the problem with that as a person looks at that and says, well, you know, you got to pay your, you know, you got to have your police department, you got to have your courts, you got to have all that, but it's, it's somewhat deeper than that, right? They're using it beyond what's actually necessary. Well, the, the, the Brookside example is perfect. The author of that series is named John Archibald. He won the Pulitzer for commentary the year before wow. me. <laughs> uh, and, and, and he and I have talked about this problem, and he refers to, in his, his series on Brookside, Brookside sort of as the Ferguson of, of, of Alabama. Oh, okay. and, 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 and the problem is, is, is twofold. One, you're, you're jailing people that aren't really a danger to society. And you're primarily jailing them because they can't afford to pay the fines and fees that you're trying to heap upon them to help fund your police Mm -hmm. department. It's not really a public safety problem. Mm -hmm. They don't have a speeding problem in Brookside, but they created one in order to fund their police department. Um, And and, and so that's part of the problem. Um, But it's, it's much bigger than that. What I wrote in my book deals with all of the different ways that the criminal uh, justice system uh, criminalizes poverty. And what really started me on that road was in 2017, 2018, when I started writing about people in rural Missouri who got arrested for misdemeanors, mm-hmm. n- not necessarily driving related, but other misdemeanors, shoplifting, uh, 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 in some cases, some some drunk driving, some, you know, minor assault, things that were misdemeanors that were crimes, they would often end up in jail and then they would get a bill for their time in Mm -hmm. jail. And I didn't realize until I started writing on it that every state in the country has a statute that allows municipalities or counties or or states to charge people for their time in jail. I want you to pause Uh, right there and, and I want you to repeat that uh, with some details so that everybody is aware that I think the average person would think that jails are funded by tax dollars. You pay your tax dollars to your city or your county or whatever. And part of that money is budgeted to keep the jails running the food for the jails, the maintenance for the jails and all that kind of stuff. But what you were discovering was that wasn't the entire case. So restate what you just said and add a little detail. So every state in the country has a law that allows cities or counties or state prisons to charge people for their time in jail. In Missouri, they call it a board bill. In some places, they call it a pay-to-stay bill. And, and so what happens is you go to jail, you've, you've, you've pleaded guilty or been found guilty of your misdemeanor. You go to jail, you get out of jail, and then you get this bill for basically a hotel bill for mm-hmm. your 30 days or 60 days or longer in jail. And that bill is often several thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And for a poor person who's stuck in jail, completely unaffordable. Mm-hmm. 
But what made it worse in Missouri, and this is what really started me down this, this road, is what would happen when people couldn't afford to pay those bills is judges were requiring them to come back to court for payment review mm-hmm. hearings. There's nothing in the statute in Missouri that allows a judge to call a payment review hearing. But it was what judges were doing to collect money. Wow. And so they would call you back to court. And if you didn't have money to pay down your board bill that day, or if you didn't uh, show up, which which happens sometimes, um, then then a warrant would be put out for your arrest and you'd be arrested again. And literally people were being put in debtor's prisons. Yeah. We banned debtors' prisons in this country in the 1800s, <laughs> but people are regularly put back in jail uh, because of their poverty, mm-hmm. because they can't afford to pay a, a a bill for their jail time or a bill for you know the fines and the fees that get added to a speeding ticket, um, which can be quite extensive, right. uh, and not extensive because the the courts have determined that that $300 charge uh, will stop you from speeding mm-hmm. again. It's because that three hundred dollar charge helps fill the coffers of the local city or county. So the money that uh, that Sue Ann or Joe uh, gets charged for shoplifting a candy bar at the Quickie Mart uh, or the Sack of Suds to an ode to uh, uh, Vinny right there um, becomes if he's unable to get out of jail or if he chooses to serve the ten days or whatever then the county then charges him more than what it actually costs him to stay so that other things can be funded in addition to keeping the jail open. Is that right? Absolutely. And that's regardless of the fact that, as you said, nearly every place that has a jail has a tax base that is supposed to be paying for that jail. Um, I'll give you a good example. You mentioned uh, Joe stealing a candy bar from the Quickie Mart. One of the main characters in my book is a woman named Brooke Bergen. She's from rural Dent County in the middle of Missouri. She stole an $8 tube of mascara from Walmart. Is that the one where it might have actually been an accident? Like she, she wasn't sure she even had it when she went out? Cor- yeah. Correct. Correct. She 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 says she wasn't. She has a record. Right. She ended up pleading guilty to it. She... Uh, 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 for the most part, owns her crime. But but here's what happens. St- steals an $8 tube of mascara. And because of the other elements related to the criminalization of poverty, including the bill for jail time, she ended up doing a year in the county jail for stealing an $8 tube of mascara and then owing the county $15,000 for that time in jail, yeah. which she was never going to be able to pay and which was completely out of whack with, with punishment for stealing an $8 tube of mascara. And then when I met her and started writing about her, the judge, judge was calling her back uh, uh, before the, the the court every month uh, to give a report on how much are you are you paying me this month on this fifteen thousand uh, dollars and 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 Brooke knew I'll have to go to court for the rest of my yeah. life for this crime because I'm never going to be able to pay down that fifteen thousand dollars. This is Marty Duran. You're listening to Uncommentary. I'm talking to Tony Messenger. He's the author of Profit and Punishment: How America Criminalizes the Poor. In the name of justice, and we're going to be right back after this. So what does it take to keep uncommentary on the air? Uh, technically, it doesn't cost a lot. Um, there's costs associated with editing. There's costs associated with scheduling. And there's not a lot more, but nobody gets rich off of podcasts that they do from their room in their home. Uh, it's all about getting the content out and uh, doing what people uh, like and maybe even need to hear. So I do want to encourage you to become a Patreon uh, or at least maybe a one-time gift. 
Um, but the reality is it doesn't take a lot and uh, a little bit helps out a ton and makes it worthwhile. And occasionally I can take my wife out for a meal. Uh, if you'd rather do a one-time thing, you can use PayPal, paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. Or Patreon is monthly. And these are uh, auto drafts, so you don't have to write checks. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go back to the website. Uh, the $2 is gone. The $3 is gone. And really, uh, you never miss it. So that's patreon.com slash uncommentary as well. And now back to this week's episode. Tony, if I remember uh, in your book, you had a couple of examples that had to do with this uh, reporting back into the judge to give you know to pay your twenty dollars or so why you couldn't pay your twenty dollars uh, was an issue because sometimes it was well away from where the people were actually living. Uh, they had to take time off work or it interfered with their work in some way. Some maybe even lost jobs. I can't remember specifics, but talk about how the requirement just to go back to those court dates. Uh, if a person's moved now an hour, hour and a half away and they have to get a ride or whatever, if they don't have a car really become a contributing factor to their ongoing poverty. Sure. So a great example is a gentleman that I wrote about who lived in Caldwell County when he committed this crime and he was a poor person and he had been at a church one day for a food pantry. And while he was there getting food, cause he was poor, uh, he happened to notice in a room adjacent to where they were handing out the food that there was this computer sitting on a desk. And there was another door to that room. And he thought, ah, it might be easy to steal that computer. I could make some money on that computer. So he gets his food from the pantry. He goes home. He comes back later when he doesn't think anybody's around. And he steals a computer from a church, takes it home. Uh, the church notices the next day. They call the police. They, they talk about the people that had been there for the food pantry. They settle on this guy and think, uh, hmm, William Everts might be a, a, a suspect. And they go to William's house and the police are there. And they're like, yeah, uh, we're, we're looking into a stolen computer at the church. And the guy says to them, I, I read from the original police mm -hmm. report. He's like, what an idiot I am. Who steals a computer from a church? <laughs> And he's like, yep, I did it. There it is. It's over in my trunk. And they go get the computer and it hadn't been damaged and they take it back to the church. But they still charge him with misdemeanor mm -hmm. theft. They put him in jail for misdemeanor theft because he's poor and he can't afford to pay bail. And that's what happens mm -hmm. to poor people. You and I get charged with misdemeanor theft. We, we write a check and we never spend a night in jail. But William Everett spends some time in jail. When he gets out, they give him a bill for his jail time. Well, he can't afford to pay. And so he goes back to jail for a few days at a time mm -hmm. because he can't afford to pay. He eventually moves to Kansas City to try to turn his life around, but instead he becomes homeless. At some point, he's homeless on the streets in Kansas City. And uh, as, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware, we've sort of criminalized homelessness yeah. in this country. And so he gets arrested for being in a tent or sleeping on the wrong steam grate or mm -hmm. something. And there's always a warrant out right. for his arrest because he, he can't get back to Caldwell County for right. court. So they take him to Caldwell County. They put him in the jail in the Caldwell County. And every time they do that, they add costs to what he yeah, owes. The homeless guy. And he goes back yeah. and he goes back to Kansas City and he's and he's and he's worse yeah. off every single time than he was before. So a group of do-gooders who tried to help mm -hmm. uh, people who were unhoused came across his case, realized this is a smart guy. This guy wants to work. He just can't. He can't get beyond mm -hmm. this situation in Caldwell County. So they wrote a letter to the judge. 
And they said, Judge, we're working with Mr. Everts to try to turn his life around and get him off the street. Our church is helping him. We're, we're, we're feeding him. They sent a picture of him all cleaned up, and he looked so completely different than he did as somebody living mm-hmm. on the streets. Can we bring him to Caldwell County? And you put him in your jail, and you tell us how many days he has to stay in that jail to pay off the debt that he yeah. owes so that he can be clear, free and clear. Now, that's a bad option right. because that's that creates two cents of justice. Yeah. Poor people have to spend more time in jail. But it was an option that Mr. Williams was willing mm-hmm. to accept, that his helpers were willing to accept, and the judge said no. Because the judge wasn't seeking justice, the judge wanted yeah. money. And so this poor man, until the law changed in Missouri, had to keep getting arrested and going back and owing more money. Well, the county wasn't getting money. It was costing taxpayers money. It was costing the city of Kansas City in, in terms of increasing their mm-hmm. homelessness problem. No, n- Nothing good was, was, was coming of it. And there are hundreds of stories, thousands of stories like that all over the country because we have so many different ways in which we use the criminalization uh, we use the criminal mm-hmm. justice system to make people's poverty worse wow. and make it harder for them to escape rather than trying to uh, find a way after they've committed a crime to make sure that they can get back to their families and back to their communities and back to jobs and everything else and it's really an endemic problem all over the country you also talk about um in my fair state, Tennessee, uh, not my home state, but my current state, I want to make that distinction. Uh, and a thing that was taking place where driver's licenses would be suspended. If a, I mean, this is that has to rank up there with like the dumbest, most counterproductive laws in the history of the legal system. People who couldn't pay court fines or whatever, uh, ticket fines of some sort would have their driver's license suspended, thereby making it harder for them to actually get to work and make the money to pay off the thing. Uh, is that a common thing, or are we blessed here to be the it, only state doing that kind of nonsense? No, it's a it's a very common thing, uh, and it used to be much more common. During the time, the two years or so that I was working on the book, uh, the number has, has decreased in terms of the number of states that continue to do this. Uh, luckily, fewer states now do this. And it's exactly like what you talked about. When a poor person can't afford to pay their debt, if you take their driver's license away, now you're saying you can't drive to work. Yeah. And and unless they happen to live in a community that has great mass transit, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to do what I did. I had a suspended driver's license when I was a younger mm-hmm. man. And what did I do? I drove my car to work because I had a family to right. take care of. And, and, and luckily, I didn't end up being criminalized mm-hmm. because of that. But all sorts of people in, in Tennessee, in, in Missouri, where I live, in Oklahoma, and states all over the country, uh, face that reality. And then what makes it even worse is when you get uh, uh, pulled over now for driving on a suspended license, in many states, that can be a state prison oh, crime. Wow. Brooke Bergen, one of the main characters in my book, because she had previous offenses on her record, including the misdemeanor theft of the $8 tube of mascara, when she ended up getting her driver's license suspended because she couldn't afford uh, court debt, she went to state prison over it. Uh, And and, and so that happens. It's, It's... the, the good news in my book is that Tennessee is not the only one that, uh, in Tennessee's case, it was because of a federal lawsuit that has started to realize that's a bad mm-hmm. law. Lots of states now 
are getting rid of the idea that you should suspend driver's licenses for debt. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's another place that's very uh, uh, related that also causes problems to poor people after they're uh, convicted of a minor crime. So Brooke Bergen, when she got out of uh, out of jail for uh, stealing the $8 tuba mascara, she was supervised by a private for-profit probation mm-hmm. company. You have those in Tennessee as mm-hmm. well. And I write about a couple of cases in Tennessee in the book because what happens when you're supervised by a private for-profit company is they charge you fees. They charge you fees to be drug tested. They charge you fees just for the right to supervise you. That's why they exist yeah. because state governments decided, eh, we can't afford to really supervise people on on uh, on, on minor yeah. crimes. So we'll let some private industry come in and do this. Well, even if you believe in privatization and private industry and capitalism and all of that, the, 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 the bottom line is that when a private company is supervising you for probation, their very business model re, re, uh, requires mm-hmm. repeat customers. So they go to the judge and they find you that you violated uh, probation because you couldn't afford to pay for the drug test that they tried Good to put grief. on you. And, and you go back to jail Even again. when drugs weren't involved and, in your and, original charges. Absolutely. Yeah. And so and, and they're profiting off of people who are not recommitting new yeah. crimes. Um, but 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 they're telling the judge they committed the crime of failure to pay, which is basically the crime of poverty. Wow. So you said something a second ago, and I want to loop back to make sure everybody understands it and make sure that I heard it right, because I think this is in your book. And I just want to make sure that I, that we bring this out when you're talking about the, the man who ended up being homeless. Uh, you said that he was um, arrested for stealing the computer and put in jail and kept in jail because he couldn't afford bail. So when you're kept in jail because you can't afford bail, you're kept in jail before your trial, which means technically you're innocent. You haven't been found guilty in a court of law. So you're under arrest. You're, you know, there's suspicious and there's reason, you know, there's um, evidence enough evidence to hold you. Uh, And so you're, but technically you're not convicted. Uh, so when you're in that holding that period in, in a town that small, it couldn't have been very long, maybe two weeks or something, I would suppose, if the judge wasn't fishing every day. Um, is he is he like having to pay for all those nights he stayed in the uh, the downtown county hotel, too, even though he had not been convicted in, of a crime? In most states, yes. Uh, Minis- in, in, in Missouri, once you're found guilty, that becomes... Uh, all of that time becomes something that you're responsible for. There's a section about that that I write about in the book because uh, Minnesota specifically has a law that says you should not be charged for that time because you were not yet Mm -hmm. guilty of a crime. And yet some counties in Minnesota were charging people anyway. Uh, a, a, A law professor in Minnesota brought a class action lawsuit against a couple of those counties and got that law overturned uh, and made it clear that you had to first be convicted. Wow, that is absolutely uh, and, and And so, yeah, that is, that is part of the problem. And, and so there's an incentive built into the law then to violate people's rights early on before they've been convicted because the longer you keep them in jail, the more money you're going to reap uh, as a county when you eventually bill them. So there's been a couple of strain, and there's probably actually more than this. We didn't even get into for-profit prisons. We are just talking about for-profit um, monitoring groups. So we've got counties, we've got police departments, we've got for-profit prisons, 
We've got the probation, uh, private probation groups. All of these people are, uh, the counties aren't, or the counties are public, not private, obviously. And the police departments are technically public, not private, but they're often run as if they were a corporation. Uh, and then a lot of prison, uh, I, I don't know how many prison guards inside of state prisons are actually from other companies, but we'll just leave that aside for a second. But it does seem like that there's a very, uh, I mean, the name of your book is Profit and Punishment. How, how did we get to the point that so much about the legal system, aside from a high-priced defense attorney, so much of the legal system became about making money for somebody on the backs of people who simply don't have the money to do it, and it's like somehow that became okay to do because these people could be thrown into the prison and nobody was really going to miss nobody important was going to miss them just their poor wife and their poor kids or their poor boyfriend or their poor girlfriend but nobody that in society and i'm using air quotes here matters was going to miss them so it's easy to kind of shuffle them out of the way and continue to get money from other how do we get to this point i i think part of it is that that we as a society uh lack the the compassion sometimes to look at the humanity of people that get caught up in the criminal justice system to recognize unless we have had somebody in our family for instance battle drug addiction mm-hmm. unless we have had somebody you know because of those human frailties end up in the criminal justice system many people uh, look at folks who stand before a judge and plead guilty to something, even a minor crime, and say, oh, well, they're criminals. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're other than mm-hmm. us, and therefore whatever the system does to them does to them. And so that's an unfortunate reality of our system. But, but part of how we've gotten this way is a little bit like the old story about a frog boiling. When, when, you, when you put the frog in the cold water and you just slowly mm-hmm. you know, bring the temperature up, uh, the frog doesn't know he's dying. And that's really what's happened to some degree to the criminal justice system is that every, every couple of years, somebody goes to the legislature and says, you know what, I need some money for this. And I know, and this is particularly true in Republican mm-hmm. states that have lawmakers that have signed Grover Norquist's No mm-hmm. New Taxes Pledge. They, when somebody comes to them and says, I need money for something, and the lawmakers say, well, I can't, I, I can't raise mm-hmm. taxes to get you that money. Well, but I can add a charge to the court system because that's not really a tax. Mm. And, and so all of a sudden there's a $3 fee uh, added to every speeding ticket and a $10 fee added to every misdemeanor and a $20 fee added to this. And then they're charging for jail time and, and then they're paying the private probation companies and all of that. And that's how a, a minor speeding ticket becomes in most states three, $400 minimum. And this is, uh, uh, because it, it, it's all of these other fines and fees. Was it in Missouri where so something since, was paying, uh, the sheriff's deputies retirement fund or something like that? Yes, this that's a wow. perfect example, and it's one that I write about in my book. And the the Missouri Supreme Court last year declared that unconstitutional. Be said because you said that you shouldn't be able to use the courts to pay for rural re- retirement, specifically when they were trying to use traffic tickets in St. Louis and Kansas City, where the population base right. is, to increase the retirement of sheriffs <laughs> who never served in those communities. Grief, and 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 so that happens in every state all over the place. And it's really gotten worse in the last decade or so when we go back to the last Great Recession in Mm -hmm. 2008, because that's when a lot of state governments had money dry up 
and and they had to try to find some other ways to fund government. Mm-hmm. And various constituencies came to them and said, add a fee to the court system. And in every state right now, if you look somewhere on your Supreme Court site, there's a list of approved uh, costs for uh, for various mm-hmm. court offenses. And it's long. It's it's 10, 15, 20 pages Good long uh, because over time, legislators just keep adding these fines and fees to them. And it's poor people that are paying them and nobody cares. Wow. The book is Profit and Punishment, How America Criminalizes the Poor in the Name of Justice. Tony Messenger. And by the way, uh, pass my appreciation on to your cover designer. I really like the cover of this book. Uh, so, Tony, you. you're on uh, Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at Tony Mess, T-O-N-Y-M-E-S-S. Uh, that's how you and I mm-hmm. came across each mm-hmm. other. I, I, I love to respond to people on uh on, on, on Twitter. So, uh, look for me and, uh, the book profit and punishment you can find at your local bookstore. Excellent. Thanks, Tony, so much. Thanks a lot, Marty. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at Uncommentary Pod. Please rate and review and whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use. Uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uh, on your Facebook page or if you tweet the link or retweet the uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Solidale Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcasts.